please keep Lamentations 2 open in front of you. Lamentations chapter 2. Do you find God judging people hard to accept? Let's change that from just people in general, because maybe that's not so helpful. Maybe it will help us to think this. People you know, your friends, family members, those you work with, whether at school, university or or in employment. Do you find God judging people hard to accept? I do. I really struggle with it. I find it very hard to accept. And so when I recently, in my Bible reading, came to Lamentations, I found it difficult reading, but helpful. Difficult because it says you cannot ignore that God does judge people. Helpful because it says you're allowed to find that hard to accept. Here is someone written in God's word, finding it hard to accept. So today, we're going to hear again from Lamentations. Uh, Just to remind you, last week we started a short topical series on Lamentations. So although today is all going to be from chapter 2, we're not actually working through it chapter by chapter. Last week, we jumped around all over the book to see the need for Lamentations. This week, it's the anguish of Lamentations. And then, God willing, next week, I think we'll be in chapter 3, the comfort in Lamentations. Last time was about, uh, Lamentations tells us we can take our confusions and our sorrows to God. I hope there was comfort there. Lamentations does have comfort for us. There, There is some psychological help there. We can take our troubles to God. But Lamentations is also a book about God's judgments. So we need to hear about that, otherwise we're not getting what this part of God's word is about. So tonight we're going to hear about judgment. We'll spend most of our time on that first point. And then more briefly, the anguish it causes. And then lastly, the answer to all that. So first of all, most of our time on the first point, judgment. And the message here is you must face up to God's severe judgment. Let's get some background first, though. Some background. Does 1871 sound a long time ago to you? 1871. Let's have a think about it. Queen Victoria was on the throne and she still had another 30 years to go. Wow. Britain had an empire across the world. India belonged to Britain. Well, that's a different world, isn't it? There was still another 40 years before World War I. 1871 is an awfully long time ago. Why am I mentioning that? 1871 was 150 years ago. Lamentations describes events in Jerusalem in 588 BC. 150 years before that, Isaiah warned that these things would happen. Isaiah gave very clear warnings. If the people of Judah and Jerusalem did not repent, this that we read in Lamentations is what would happen to them. Isaiah also gave very clear invitations. Turn to God and he will forgive. And there is still blessing for you if you turn. That was 150 years before all this happened. Now, Isaiah wasn't the only one. Before Isaiah, there were other prophets gave more general warnings. After Isaiah, there were more prophets that gave more specific warnings. They were God's mouthpiece. 
He was speaking for God. His message, in other words, God had for centuries said to these people, turn from your sin. Turn. Why will you die? Turn and live. And God had warned them. And he'd invited them. And he'd made promises to them. And he'd even pleaded with them. He's the all-powerful. Would he plead with people? Yes, he did. He pleaded with them. Avoid this judgment. Turn to me. I'm ready to pour out blessing. God is so patient. God is so slow to anger. He's so quick to forgive. God is reluctant to judge people. And we must remember that background as we hear about judgment. If we just jump straight into Lamentations, we would have got the wrong idea about God. It's come with a history of hundreds of years of God showing his love and his reluctance to judge. But they didn't turn and judgment did come. And we need to hear about judgment now. And this isn't going to be pleasant, I have to admit. But... People go and visit Auschwitz, and that isn't pleasant. Why do they visit it? Because we should learn from serious events in history. And we should learn from this event. God has selected it to be in his message to us, because we need to learn. And we don't come to church just to hear nice things. We come to be realistic. And we've got to learn from this. Lamentations describes the events of 588 BC. Babylon was the superpower of the world at that time. And Judah was just this tiny little country. By the way, the rest of Israel had already been attacked and destroyed. Judah was left. Tiny little country. The Babylonians marched on the capital city, Jerusalem, and laid siege to it. The siege lasted 18 months. 18 months of nobody coming in and nobody going out of the city. So, of course, starvation set in and disease was rampant. And then the Babylonians broke through the wall and they systematically went through the city, tearing down everything. They got to the temple and they defiled it, looted it, burnt it to the ground. And then they carried off nearly everyone into captivity. To get a visual idea of what that's like, rather than just hearing words, if you can sometime, go to the British Museum in London. And there is a wall with great big stone tablets, I suppose you could call them, on the wall, massive ones all around the wall. And they've got pictures on them, carved in. It's called the Lackish Relief. Now, admittedly, They are pictures of Assyria attacking the Judean town of Lachish, not Babylon Babylon attacking Jerusalem. But it shows you the sort of things that happened. The king of Assyria made this to celebrate his victory. What sort of things did he do in his victory? There in the British Museum, you'll see he's got pictures of people being skinned alive. People being impaled on poles. There are piles of heads and the king of Assyria has got his feet on them. And there are children being held and made to watch this. And there's pictures of people being taken off into captivity. 
It's not Babylon. It is the superpower that came before Babylon. But it shows you the sorts of things that went on when a city was taken in that ancient world. The sort of thing that would have happened to Jerusalem. And Lamentations 2 is a poem about that destruction of Jerusalem. And its big theme is this. It's a shocking theme. God did it. God did it. Yes, the Babylonians did it. And they were sinners, just gratifying their sin and their greed. But God did it. And he's not a sinner. He was executing justice. Verse 1. How the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with the cloud of his anger. Verse 2, without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. Verse 4 and verse 5, the Lord has become our enemy. His shocking message is, the Lord did this. And this poem pictures what that was like. Now, to help us, try to get in your head... um, World War One. I'm sure you all know a bit about World War One and those trenches on the Western Front. Try to get in your head. It's World War One. You're in a trench on the Western Front and the artillery guns are going. You know those great big guns shelling the area and just, just shells pounding in. And it's just going boom, boom, boom as the shells pound in. And your head is ringing with it and those shells Boom, they're pounding in and everything is being driven down into the ground, torn down into the ground. Well, verses 1 to 8 is like the artillery bombardment on Jerusalem. But it's not boom, boom, boom in these verses. It is he, he, he. Do you see it? Just look from verse 1 onwards. You see it straight away. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. He has brought her kingdom and its princes down to the ground. He has withdrawn his right hand. He has burned in Jacob like a flaming fire. He has poured out his wrath like fire. He has swallowed up her palaces. He has multiplied mourning and lamentation. He has laid waste his dwelling. Do you hear the artillery guns smashing in? But each time it's he. And who's the he? It is the Lord. It is God himself. And your head is ringing with it as it pounds everything into the ground. Verse 1, Israel's splendor. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. Israel's strength, verse 2. He has brought her kingdom and its princes down to the ground. Down they go. The temple, verse 6, he has laid waste his dwelling like a garden. Down it goes into the ground. The city walls, verse 8, the Lord determined to tear down the wall around the daughter of Zion. The artillery guns fire and down they go into the ground. And even the people, verse 10, The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. Down they go into the ground. And then in verse 9 and 10, you get the silence 
when the bombardment's finished. The silence of a crushed people. Verse 9, the law is silenced. The prophets are silenced. Verse 10, the elders are silenced. The young women are silenced. And in verses 11 to 19, the writer of Lamentations, he wanders around the city, a dazed person, just looking at the destruction. Verse 12, he sees starving children. In their mother's arms, our our Bible says, it's literally at their mother's breast, with with their life ebbing away. It's poetry, of course, it's a poem, but it's also historical fact. That is the sort of thing that would happen. Mothers and children on the streets, among the rubble, houses destroyed, food gone, just their lives ebbing away. So verses 18 and 19, he calls on Jerusalem. Jerusalem is pictured throughout this book as a woman. And he calls on her, cry to God, cry for yourself. And if you can't do that, cry for your children. And Jerusalem's just about got enough energy left to to make this little cry. Verses 20 to 22, That's, that's all Jerusalem can manage. Hasn't got enough breath for much, but can manage to cry out in verses 20 to 22. Cry to God. And her cry ends, verse 22. Those I cared for and reared, my enemy has destroyed. Those I cared for and reared, who does she mean? They were my babies. They drank my milk. They were my toddlers. They sat on my knee. They were my children. I watched them grow up. And now what? My enemy has destroyed them. Who's that enemy? Oh, yes, it's the Babylonians. Yes. But it's also, look at verse 5. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. It is horrific. This is real history. You can read this outside the Bible. It's real history. It's horrific. And God judged his people like that. You've got to remember what I said at the beginning. Remember the hundreds of years of pleading, the hundreds of years of warning, the hundreds of years of invitation. But when people don't listen to God, it is horrific. It's in the Bible because it's significant, because it's significant. Now, what are the first four letters of significant? Children, what are the first four letters of significant? S-I-G-N. What does that spell? Sign. Significant means it is a sign of something. This event is a sign of something. The prophets warned of the destruction of Jerusalem and they called it the day of the Lord. They said there's the great and terrible day of the Lord coming. But it was also a sign of a a further day of the Lord that would come later. The day of the Lord Jesus coming back to judge. Jesus did similar. In fact, he did exactly the same. 
Because Jerusalem was not only destroyed in 588 BC, it was destroyed in 70 AD. And Jesus warned about Jerusalem being destroyed in 70 AD, but he used that as a sign of when he would return and there would be judgment. Lamentations 2 is a historical record in poetry form, but it's also a sign of God's judgment when Jesus returns. Now, let's have a think about signs to help us understand what's going to happen when Jesus returns. Let's have a think about signs. Ben, have we got something that's going to come up on the screen? Let's think about signs. There's some signs from a map. Let's take uh, the second row down, the one on the right. What's that a sign of? Children, do you know? Second row down, one on the right. What's it a sign of? If you saw that on a map, it would be telling you what is there. Samuel? A windmill. That's right. How do you know it's a windmill? Yeah, that's right. A windmill looks a bit like that, doesn't it? In other words, the sign and the reality, uh, there's something similar about sign and reality. Sign and reality are similar. Is a windmill exactly like that? No. Which is greater, the sign or the reality? Reality is greater. All windmills are bigger and better than that, aren't they? The reality is greater than the sign, but the reality does in some way match the sign. But the reality is not exactly the same as the sign. You haven't seen a windmill that looks exactly like that, have you? Got that? The reality in some way matches the sign. The reality is not exactly the same as the sign because the reality is greater than the sign. Okay, thank you, Ben. We'll get rid of that. Otherwise, people will be working them all out. Now, let's think about when Jesus comes to judge. It will in some ways be like the sign in 588 BC. Because Jesus is very patient and he's giving you and me and the world so much time to repent and so many warnings and so many invitations and so many promises. But when he comes, it will be dreadful for those who have taken no notice and not turned to him. It won't be exactly like 588 BC. The sign and the reality are never exactly the same. The reality is greater than the sign. So don't think, oh, it won't be that bad. No, the reality is greater than the sign. Do you see the relationship between reality and sign? Take 588 BC and apply it to Jesus coming back. Now, I think we have to be careful about trying to describe exactly how Jesus will punish people when he comes back. Personally, I think that sometimes the church has pretended to know more exactly what Jesus meant by hell than we really do know. I think we've got to be very careful about how we specify and try to tie that down. But whatever it means, the Bible is clear, it is dreadful. It is terrible. Lamentations tells you that. The words of Jesus tell you that. The letters of Paul tell you that. Let me read to you from 2 Thessalonians 1. 
2 Thessalonians 1, when, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Is there anyone here not safely trusting in Jesus? You need to take notice of this. You really need to take notice of this. God's judgment is terrible. You need to escape it. Don't put it off. Don't think I'll sort it out later. You need to be safely trusting in Jesus. That was judgment. That was our first part. Let's now move on to anguish. Anguish. The message of the first part was you, you mustn't ignore the severity of God's judgment. The message of this second part is you're allowed to find this hard to accept. Anguish. You're allowed to find this hard to accept. Uh, Lamentations is full of anguish and finding hard to accept God's judgment. I need this because I find the Bible's teaching about God's judgment hard to accept. I struggle with it. I find myself wanting to water it down or to object to it or to ignore it. And I doubt I'm the only one. And the writer of Lamentations is like that. He doesn't water it down, but he is full of anguish over it. Let me just show you three examples. Three examples. First of all, verse one. Verse one. Chapter two, verse one. How the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with the cloud of his anger. It's a bit hard to translate, actually. We've got how. The word here could, it's this word of mourning. Probably the best is this old fashioned word, alas. Do you remember Boris Johnson's, um, whenever he made a statement about COVID, he seemed to always get the word alas into it. He seemed to like the word alas. But um, this is a lot more serious sounding than it sounded from Boris Johnson. Alas. The NIV translated it as an exclamation. How the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with the cloud of his anger. And that's true. It is an exclamation. But it also can be translated as a question. How has God done this? How can this be? I, I just can't understand this. I can't, I, I can't take in how God could have done this. He's in anguish. Another example, verse 11. Verse 11. My eyes fail from weeping. I'm in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed. I'm so churned up inside and I'm so drained. It's as if my eyes have run out of tears and it's as if someone has got my heart and like a lemon, they've squeezed it and squeezed all the blood out and it's drained on the ground. That's how I feel about this. He's in anguish. He's not finding it easy to accept. He's not some theological hard man. I believe in hell. I tick the box. I'm a hard man about it. No, he's not. Don't be a theological hard man. I believe in God's judgment. I'm going to argue with you about it. No, cry with people over it. Another example, verse 20. 
Look, O Lord, and consider. Whom have you ever treated like this? Should women eat their offspring, the children they have cared for? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? These are questions fired at God. Now, be careful. This is not accusing God of wrongdoing. But it is being honest with God about how troubling we find this. And so there's this question, whom have you treated like this? I think the NIV has got it slightly wrong to have inserted the word ever. It, it makes it sound like the emphasis is on this has never happened before. I think the emphasis is on, Lord, think about who you are doing this to. Your people. Lord, think about the people who are suffering. I think that's the emphasis. And then in the second half, should women eat their offspring? In other words, he's saying, God, I know this is punishment for sin, but did it have to be like this? Is it really right for it to be like this? Now, do you see there's a fine line here? He's not saying, God, you are wrong. But he's saying, God, I I cannot take this. And I, I find it really hard to accept that this is right. God isn't wrong. The judge of all the earth does do right, but Lamentations allows us to find it hard to accept. Lamentations allows us to be honest with how we struggle with this. And if you don't struggle with it, I'd imagine you're either trying to be one of those theological hard men or you're not really taking it in. But Lamentations also tells us, And I really need this. It tells me the answer isn't deny that God judges people or try to water down his judgment or ignore and just put out of your mind that Jesus is coming back as judge. That's not the answer. Well, what is the answer? We've had judgment, then anguish. And let's finish with the answer, the answer. And here the message is you need to move beyond lamentations to resolve this. Thank God we've got lamentations, but thank God we've got more. And we move into the New Testament. And we move into the New Testament, and it doesn't tell us God is less strict. And actually, his judgments aren't going to be as severe as the Old Testament made them sound. No. Think of Jesus' words of warning, and think of the very last book of the New Testament. And if you know either of those, you'll see it doesn't say, actually, it's not going to be that bad. Instead, it tells us that judgment on sin has all been concentrated on Jesus. On one person at one point in time. Think of all that judgment on sin that we read described in Lamentations and in Revelation and in the words of Jesus. And it says that judgment has been concentrated down onto one man. Let's think about things being concentrated. Uh, push a pin into a drawing, into a notice board, a drawing pin into a notice board. I'm sure you've all done that, haven't you? You push a, a pin into, into a notice board. Why doesn't it go into your thumb? Well, because the force is spread across the head of the pin. Why does it go into the notice board? Well, because the force is concentrated down on the point in the pin. Those who know physics better than me, I hope you, I hope I got that right. There's a bit of a lesson in pressure. Yeah. Now, 
All the force of God's judgment on sin was concentrated down onto one man, hanging on one cross at one point in history. All that we've read so vividly described in Lamentations was concentrated down onto him. What pressure. What an awful load of human sin he bore. What a terrible load Jesus carried for us. So that we can say to people, we can offer to people, turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus and he will keep you safe. He's the only way of escape from this judgment. Shelter under him and all the pressure will come down on him. He can shelter you because he took it on himself. Now that means, that means we're like people in a lifeboat in the Atlantic at the time when the Titanic went down. You know the story of the Titanic? Now you are in a lifeboat, safe. And round about are all these people in the freezing water and they're going to go under and they're going to die. And we're safely in the lifeboat. Well, are you? Are you? Are you in Jesus, his lifeboat? Are you safely trusting in him? Or are you still in danger of going under to God's judgment? Jesus, he's a unique lifeboat. Quite different from the ones at the time of the Titanic. Why? Because he has room for everyone. He has room for everyone. Nobody needs to stay out in the freezing water. Whoever they are, whatever they've done, nobody needs to stay outside of Jesus. So how can we be safely in the lifeboat and not call the people who are out around us in that freezing water? Come in, come in. How can we not try to get them in the lifeboat? So we better tell them there's room for them. We better call them in. Come to Jesus. There's room. There's safety in him. There's danger and there's judgment outside, but you don't need to stay out there. You're welcome. Come into the lifeboat. Come into Jesus. Put your trust in him. Still this week, so many people around us still in that danger of judgment. Let's pray for them now. Let's pray. Father, we tremble before you. You are a God of terrible judgment. We don't like hearing about it, but please stop us closing our eyes to it, hardening our hearts to it, just putting it out of our minds. Father, we're surrounded by people heading to this judgment, people we know, people we love. Father, please have mercy. We say, like in Lamentations, look, O Lord, and consider. Father, thank you. We know more than whoever wrote Lamentations knew. Because we know more than him about Jesus, the way of safety. Jesus, who took on himself all of the judgment. Jesus, who rescues. So please, spread the good news of his rescue. Please, send out the warning. Alert people to their danger. Persuade them of the truth. Soften their hearts to accept the invitation. And please, Father, use us. 
Make us effective at inviting people into the lifeboat. Give us the right words. Give us the right heart. Give us the right opportunities. And may they let go of their misplaced confidence and get in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.